This is James Moore, pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri, praying this audio message will be a blessing to you. For more information or to donate, please visit newlifekc.com. No, it is a, uh, a privilege. It's an honor always to be able to speak and to do so on this special Sunday. It is Mother's Day. And you may not know this, but historically in the church, Mother's Day is the third highest attended Sunday, only taking third to Christmas and Easter. And so I feel it is appropriate uh, here in just a moment to give a shout out to Woodrow Wilson, our president from 1914, who made this an official holiday. So for the past 100 years, thank you, President Woodrow, we've had increased church attendance. And you've really helped out floral sales and candy sales and greeting card sales. So how about that? We're on Mother's Day. It is great. Um, so this week, I, I was thinking about Mother's Day, and it's like, all right, I got to do a Mother's Day message. This will be different. Um, and this is the day that we set aside to honor mothers. And If you stop and think about it, being a mom is not easy. In in fact, this week my wife uh, sent me a screenshot of an image that she saw on Instagram, and it was just simply titled, How to Be a Mom in 2022. And so I thought I would share this because it's hard to be a mom, but especially in 2022. Check this out. Uh, Make sure your children's academic, emotional, psychological, mental, spiritual, physical, nutritional, and social needs are being met while being careful not to overstimulate, understimulate, improperly medicate, helicopter, or neglect them in a screen-free, processed-free, foods-free, plastic-free, body-positive, socially conscious, egalitarian, but also authoritative. Nurturing, but fostering of independence, gentle, but not overly permissive, pesticide-free, two-story, multilingual, home preferably in a cul-de-sac with a backyard. And don't forget the coconut oil. It is hard being a mom in 2022. It's not easy. But do you know what else is not easy? Giving birth. I will uh, confess, because church should be a place where confession takes place, um, I confess I watched one too many related videos on YouTube this week of women taking their significant others to medical clinics to help these men understand what contraction pains were like, uh, to help them to better understand and to experience a simulated labor. And so these videos were amazing. Uh, If you've never, well, hey. Instead of sharing about them, you just need to take a look. Watch this. We're at one right now? I'm at one. It's manageable. Yeah. I feel something. Okay. It feels like somebody's tickling my belly. Oh, okay. Ah! Oh my god! Yeah. Oh no. This is where everybody. Oh, oh, okay. Three. Oh, oh my gosh! to the hospital yet? <laughs> How do they teach you to breathe? 
I didn't. Deep breaths. Uh. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Yeah, I feel that on the right side. Oh, yeah, there it is. You got the cold sweats going. I, got, I do have the cold sweat going, yeah. <laughs> it feels good. It feels good. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It's like just tingling my tummy now. It's not even like it's like a contraction or like go all the way across around your back and just feel like tons of pressure. And this doesn't even like relate. It does. It's not the same. I don't understand why you'd want to have more than one kid. I definitely wouldn't want to experience that ever again. Thanks, mom. Mom, if I did anything like that to you. I deserved every spanking and then some. You're a hero, a saint. I love you, and I'm so sorry. Happy Mother's Day. Later, just look them up on YouTube. There's lots of videos, lots of videos. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 not easy uh, giving birth. That's not easy. Uh, labor pains for real, and being a mom in 2022 has its challenges. Now, if I'm being honest, it's an honor to speak today, but this is not an easy Sunday to speak. Because when it comes to like Mother's Day services, there's no one-size-fits-all Mother's Day service. And, and I guess, you know, let's think about this. Like, I've been in church services where pastors have asked like all the moms to stand up in the room. And, and I think that that's good, it's honoring, but unknowingly and with good intentions, that question can sometimes force women to navigate a complex relationship on the spot in which some people would ask, like, do I count? Like, will my friends and family think it's weird if I stand up? I mean, I am a mom, aren't I? And, and here's the, the complex truth, is that motherhood takes on many forms. In this room, there are biological moms, stepmoms, foster moms, grandmoms, adopted moms, spiritual moms, and moms who've even been estranged from their kids. I mean, motherhood takes on many forms. And Mother's Day is a time to celebrate the blessing and role of being a mom, and it's something that we should celebrate. It's something that we should honor. But at the same time, we need to recognize that for others, Mother's Day can be a painful reminder of past trauma, whether that be abuse or miscarriage, the loss of a child, 
or struggles with infertility. So this morning, we're managing a tension in the room of celebration, but also people's personal stories. And so I want to always be careful to not say things like, motherhood's the greatest calling you'll ever have. Or motherhood is a woman's greatest opportunity to reflect Christ. And the reason I don't want to say those things is because to the woman who struggles with infertility, those lines can communicate that regardless of how wholeheartedly you follow Christ, you won't live up to your full potential until you conceive. To the woman who's miscarried or has lost a child, those types of lines say that that was your chance, you've missed it, your opportunity to experience God's role for you has passed you by. And to the single woman, being surrounded by couples in and of itself makes them feel like an outsider. But then to have those types of lines can make them feel like they're that much further removed from God's will for them. And so this morning, we're managing the tension between people's personal story and pain while at the same time celebrating motherhood and those who are functioning in that role of mom. And this morning, since I have the mic, I want to take a moment to honor my mom. And my mom's not in the room today. She's at home, not feeling well. And so she's watching live online. So I'll find a camera, and I will tell my mom, Mom, Debbie Moore, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for all you've done for me. Mom, most people think I'm like Dad. They think that he's been the main influence in my life. But Mom, I know that I'm the husband I am today. I'm the father I am. The church leader I am, in great part because of your influence. So, Mom, thank you, and happy Mother's Day. So I'm about talking about moms. It ain't hard. <laughs> now, listen, if you've not had that chance to give your mom words of encouragement, to say happy Mother's Day, to tell her what she meant. If your mom's still around, I want to encourage you today to give some words of life to your mom. Give them a hug. Let them know how much you care about them. Now, as I think back on my childhood, I've come to realize I'm a parent of three boys now. There are things that parents did in the 90s that no parent would do today. And I have a list. Number one, in the 90s, parents let their kids play on questionable playground equipment. My parents would let me play on anything. It didn't matter if there was paint peeling from it. It didn't matter if it was made of wood. It didn't matter if it was a metal slide that was as hot as Hades. And in the 90s, shorts were short, and you would burn your buns every time on that slide. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There is so much in the 90s that doesn't happen today. How many of you guys remember this device of pain? This was one of my favorite devices of pain. You will not find that on a playground anywhere today. That thing is unsafe. How many of you have flown off one of those? It is unforgiving. It stops for no one. You just have to hang on to the end. In the 90s, man, parents were different. They let their kids eat high fructose corn syrup like it was nobody's business. There was no fear of artificial sweeteners in the 90s. In the 90s, parents thought that being allergic to gluten was merely a figment of your imagination. In the 90s, parents let their kids ride in the front seat, and seatbelts were optional. You guys remember these days? I remember riding in the back window of the car. Hey, son, don't put your foot through the speaker back there. That was what I was told. Be careful. In the 90s, parents left their kids unattended in the car. 
It was not for a long time, but like if mom had to run into the grocery store or the dry cleaners, she would crack the window and leave you safely in the car for just a few moments. And back then, that was not considered negligent parenting. That was just called time efficiency. And today, you cannot do that. Child Protective Services would be called in you in a hurry. In the 90s, parents let their kids ride in the back of pickup trucks. I have memories with my cousin and my Uncle Ed. He had this big old lifted truck, and he'd be like, get in the back. And so if police came, we still had to duck, so there was something about it not being right. But nonetheless, we were back there. The parents did not care. In the 90s, man, parents let their kids play with questionable toys. I don't know if any of you remember sock boppers. Yeah, I don't know how that was ever approved. It's an inflatable glove for your hand that you punch your closest sibling or friend with until you knock them out. It was like rock'em, sock'em, boppers, but in real life, it was unbelievable. It was defined as more fun than a pillow fight. Yeah, it was. There's blood and tears. It was awesome. I don't know how many of you remember Skip It. Anybody remember Skip It? It was like the plastic device, and you'd put it on this foot, and then like you would spin it, and you'd try to jump over it with this foot, and it would rub your shin raw as it spun around. And if you ever missed the jump, it would take out your other leg. It was a hazard. I love Skip It. It was wonderful. In the 90s, oh, parents let babies sleep on their stomach which is like a big no-no in today's world. And I know grandparents are like, what? Yeah, that's not a thing now. So like safe, conscious sleepers, we put them on their back. Back is best to sleep. That was a whole campaign. It began in 94, and it has reduced sudden infant death syndrome by 50%. So there you go. Put your kid on their back. Uh, in the 90s, uh, so if you live through the 90s, hey, <laughs> you're, in, you're in the minority of your uh, generation. There's some friends of ours that aren't here. Um, in the 90s. Parents let their kids loose on the internet. Uh, does anybody remember this sound? We have connection. There's something sweet about the sound of dial-up. You guys remember that? All right, that's good, that's good. It just keeps going. <laughs> In the day, man, the internet came about, and there was no such thing as, like, parental controls. It was just the Wild West. You got a connection. Of course, you got disconnected if anybody picked the phone up somewhere else in the house. You're like, ah, I was on the internet. Uh, that was fun times. And finally, I could have a bigger list. In the 90s, man, parents let their kids drink from the hose. Yeah, yeah, but today, like, you got to realize there's a lot of toxic chemicals in there. There's lead and bromine and BPA, so that's like a big, a big no-no. Look at your neighbor and say, man, the 90s were awesome. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. Times have changed. Times are different. Parenting has changed. Uh, kids have changed. Our, our world, to a great degree, has changed. And, you know, in today's world, there's lots of conversation around, like, gender identity and sexual orientation and gender roles. But, like, in my day, I was always taught to treat the opposite sex with respect, to put girls first. Um, I was told to respect them, to honor them, to serve them and protect them. And maybe according to today's standards, that's considered to be sexist, that they don't need your protection. Or maybe I'm just old school. But that, that was how I was raised in the 90s. And not only were my parents teaching me this way of behaving, but so were my youth pastors, Pastor Stan and Susie. Um, and the problem with Pastor Stan and Susie, from my middle school perspective, was that they were not being um, fair as they were trying to teach this lesson. So if we had a game, they would always give the girls an unfair advantage. 
And it wasn't a physical game. They didn't need the advantage. They just always would win. And I didn't like this. And so I would complain to them and say, hey, this isn't fair. And if me or any of my guy friends said this to them, do you know what their response was? Alex, life is not fair. Get used to it. And this is why we're in therapy today, because these are the lessons from the 90s. Now, listen, I'm not dismissing that lesson. There is a lot of truth in there. Life's not fair, and we do need to get used to it. But have you ever felt like life's unfair? Have you ever felt that way? Like, I think all of us can relate on some level to life just not feeling fair. Maybe you grew up with a sibling, and now, like, you guys are adults, and one of your, your life's all put together, and the other one's life's a mess, and you're like, this doesn't seem fair. We grew up the same way. How did this happen? Or, or maybe you were qualified to get the promotion at work, but the new guy with less experience got it, and it just seems unfair. Or maybe you've been praying and crying out to God to meet you where you're at, to do something supernatural in your life, and it just it hasn't happened, and it just seems unfair. Or maybe you're single, and you want to be married, and it's just unfair. Or worse, you're married, and you want to be single, and it's unfair. <laughs> there could be hundreds of examples But what do you do when life is unfair? Do you get mad and raise a fist at God and say, God, I can't believe you would let this. Is is, is it directed to him? Or when life's unfair, do you even think about God? Is he disconnected? And, and, And I think sometimes we don't think about God when life's unfair. But what we tend to do is we begin to pull away and we begin to protect ourselves. And we become emotionally distant from people in order to stop the unfairness from hurting us. Or even worse, sometimes in the midst of unfairness and it seems like there's no end, all of a sudden people can begin to self-medicate to try to help themselves to not think about reality and the unfairness of it. They try to escape reality with whatever it takes to help them deal with unfairness that they've experienced. This morning what I want to do is I want to look at a story in the Bible that seems unfair. It doesn't seem fair at all. And I want us to look at this story because in the midst of what seems unfair, I think there's something for us to learn about who God is. And so if you have a Bible, you can look with us. We'll put it on the screen, but we're going to take a look at Luke chapter 1. And in this one chapter, there's two stories that we're going to look at. The first story is the story of Mary, which is the mother of Jesus, which is appropriate for Mother's Day. Come on, we got the number one mom in the Bible. We're reading about her. And this should be a pretty familiar story if you've attended church on Christmas. Okay, so this is normally your Christmas passage in Luke 1. The second story we're going to look at is also in that chapter, just a little bit earlier, and it's the story of Zechariah. And what we're going to do is we're going to compare and contrast these stories because it just doesn't seem fair. So let's start with the familiar story of Mary. This is Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 26 and read through verse 38. Here's what we read. It was in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, everybody say Gabriel, Gabriel. was sent by God to a town in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. But she was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting could this be? Then the angel told her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. But Mary asked the angel, how? Everybody say how. How How can this be? Since I have not had sexual relations with a man. The angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative Elizabeth. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her, who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. Verse 38, final verse C, I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it happen to you as you have said. And then the angel, Gabe, took off. All right, great story, great story. Got it? Remember it. Here we go. We're going to look at the story of Zechariah. And this is actually Elizabeth. Remember, we had the the relative of Mary, Elizabeth, who's pregnant. This is the story of their pregnancy. And her husband's name is Zechariah. So here we go. Zechariah, Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Now, when his, Zechariah's division, was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, okay, Zechariah is a priest, it happened that he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be great joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Verse 18. How? Everybody say, how? How How can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel. For I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. Isn't that funny? He didn't call her old. Never call a woman old. Mother's Day lesson number two for you. All right, for I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Same angel. How about that? Who stands in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Now listen. You will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Now, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. When he did not come out, he could not speak to them. When he did come out, he could not speak to them. Then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless which that's just humorous to think about for a moment. When the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. Two stories, the story of Mary, the story of Zechariah. 
it seems unfair. Let's compare the two stories. There's some similarities here. Number one, both were visited by an angel. In fact, they were visited by the same angel. His name was Gabriel. Now, and both were promised the miraculous birth of a son. It was going to be a miracle. It was going to be awesome. You got an old guy, never had kids, boom, you're going to have a baby. You got a virgin. Virgins don't have babies. You're going to have a baby. Miraculous. You both promised the miraculous birth of a son. Now, now notice, both are equally ill-suited to have a child. One's old and his wife's barren and well along in years, and Mary is a virgin. This doesn't make any sense, but they're similar. They're ill-suited to have this happen to them. And then both of them respond with a question to the angel that starts with the same word. How? Okay, similarities. Seems like a pretty similar story, right? But we've got to contrast a couple things. Um, the stories are very different because the first contrast, Zechariah is an old man. He's an old married man. He's an old married man who works as a priest who has followed the law and given his life to pleasing God. Okay, that's Zechariah. Mary, well, she's like the opposite. She's young, unmarried, and is pretty obscure. We don't know anything about her. She hasn't done anything. She's probably still living in her parents' basement. (laughs) And then both of them, they both asked the angel, how? How is this going to happen? And when they asked how, with Zechariah, he says, how? And the angel, Gabriel, like grabs a remote control and pushes mute on Zechariah's voice, leaving him speechless. You ain't going to talk no more. Don't you ask me how. Go over to the story of Mary. She says how, and what's he do? Oh, Mary, let me explain how this is where it works. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. It's going to be wonderful. He graciously explains the whole thing to her. Now, if you're in my shoes, I'm going back, traumatic moments, middle school. Is God like Pastor Stan and Susie? Are the girls getting an unfair advantage? What's going on? Should I just say life's not fair, Zechariah? Too bad, get used to it. Or is it possible there's more going on here? I think there's more going on here. And in fact, if we, if we stop and think about this in the natural, what's going on in both of these stories, it, it just seems like the opposite of what I would expect. If God was to supernaturally give someone a child, who do you think deserves it more? The priest who has served God in his temple or some random girl nobody knows? It doesn't seem like she should even be in the story. He's the man of God. Or, or if God was to supernaturally give someone a child, who deserves it? The, the priest who's honored God with their entire life? This is what they've done year after year after year, serving the Lord, burning incense, doing what he wants, or some girl who we don't know if she's ever been in the presence of God, ever been to the temple, ever been to the tabernacle. If God was to supernaturally give someone a a child. Why would he give a child to a virgin? Why wouldn't he give it to Zechariah and his wife who've struggled with infertility their entire marriage and have dealt with the pain that comes month after month finding out that, no, we didn't conceive this month. Hey, Mary, it's that time of month. Yeah, no, there's no baby this time. Month after month after month after month. 12 months in a year, 24 and 2, 48 and 4. Why wouldn't God give them the child? I mean, that makes sense. It makes sense that they should get the child, that God would say, yeah, I'm going to bless you. But 
Mary over here, I don't even know why she's in the story. It doesn't seem like that makes sense to me in the natural. And then after the angel Gabriel tells them both that they're going to have this miracle child, and they say how, all of a sudden the angel meets Mary with kindness and explains the whole thing to her. But then there's this harsh response to Zechariah. And I would think if anybody's going to get a break, let's give it to Zechariah. He's gone through pain. He's lived some life. He's got some baggage. He's got some things that have happened in his life that people don't know. He's got a story. But why is the angel not being gracious to him? He's being gracious to her. Why is he being so harsh, actually silencing him to where he can't speak? See, I think there's something that we have to learn about God here. I think there's something more going on than we initially see. I think there's something for us to learn right here. And I think the first thing we got to see is that, that God does not weigh their worthiness to receive a blessing by the same criteria that I would use or you would use. And so don't miss this. God does not bless people according to their age, according to their gender, according to their race, according to their career, according to their economic status in life. No. God chooses to give his grace freely across the spectrum of humanity. His grace is not reserved for the spiritually elite. It is available to all. What is God's grace? God's grace is his kindness. It is his unmerited favor. You did nothing to earn it, but I still will show you favor and kindness and goodness. In our stories, we see that God is actually pouring out his grace, his kindness, his unmerited favor on both Mary and Zechariah. But what we have to take note here is the response of Mary and Zechariah. So much of the story seems the same, but there must be something in their response that caused the angel Gabriel to respond differently to them. And so they both started a question with uh, the angel, and they both said how. But I think what we have to come to realize here, if we look at this scripture a little deeper, is that that question of how was rooted in two different places. See, in verse 34, Mary says, how can this be, since I have not had sexual relations with a man? See, this question is being asked more from a practical, technical sense. Like, do I need to go and get with my fiance, Joseph, to have this miracle baby? Or do I not? How is this going to happen? Because, like, I ain't been having no sex. And so it's more of a technical question of how um, I need to proceed. What now, angel, do I need to do? But in verse 18, Zechariah says this. He says, how can I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. See, Zechariah isn't asking a technical question like Mary. Zechariah was asking, really, for a sign from God. How can I know this? Show me something that's going to prove that this is going to happen. Because don't you know that every month for years upon years I've had pain? And I don't want to go through the pain again of thinking I'm going to have a child and not have a child. So can you give me a sign of some sort that I can know? I mean, I know that you're an angel. I know that you're standing in front of me. I know this has never happened before, but that's not enough. I need something more so that I can believe what you're saying because I don't believe what you're saying. Zechariah's response, how can this be, yeah, yeah, how can I know this, is rooted in doubt. See, the difference in how Gabriel responded to each was based upon where each of them were. See, we later read in verse 45 that when Mary visited her, uh, her, her relative Elizabeth, here's what Elizabeth said. It says, blessed is she 
who what? Has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. When Mary heard the message from Gabriel, her immediate thing was, I believe. I believe. Let's do this. How's it, what, what do I need to do? That's her position. But Zechariah, in verse 18, we read this. How can I know this? Zechariah said, I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Two verses later, here's what the angel says. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things happen. Why? Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. See, Mary responded in faith. Zechariah responded in disbelief. She trusted He doubted. And when God's grace is given, the response is the most important part for us. See, young women can surpass old men when they trust God. And so this morning on this Mother's Day, I hope that you can see God's grace, His favor, His kindness in your life. A lot of times our lack of faith is just a lack of our remembrance. But God has been active in drawing you, protecting you, arranging some situations and circumstances in order to reveal himself to you so that you would say, wow, God, you are awesome. I believe you. I trust you. I hope in your life that you can see how God's grace has been there. Whether he's healed you from a time that you thought you'd be sick to close encounters that you had in which you thought, man, I should be dead, but I'm not. God was present, and he is a good God. And you have kindness on your life and unmerited favor. You didn't do anything to deserve it. So I hope today you recognize God's grace has been poured out on you. But I want to encourage you to respond the way that Mary did in faith. The choice is yours. You can respond in faith, or you can respond in doubt. You can choose to believe, or you can choose to respond from your pain, which is really what Zechariah did. For whatever reason, God responds to faith. That's important for you to know. God responds to faith. The reason that Abraham was counted as righteous was because of his faith. There's something about faith. Faith uh, is hard to define. If I said, what is faith? You'd be like, I don't know. Believing in what I can't see. Okay, what does that mean? Faith, here's, here's, here's the easy thing. This is like my life in church. I'm going to help you. Anytime you hear faith, just replace it with the word trust. Do you have faith? No, no. Do you have trust? Do you trust? It's active. It's not just belief. It's not just something in my head. No, no. It's active. I'm Trusting, it's going to be followed by action. It's going to be followed by my life shows that I trust in a God that I can't see. I, I, I believe what he says to be true. Like, I'm, I'm trusting it. See, we can respond in trust or we can respond in distrust. And God, when we respond in faith, he responds to us. Check this out in Romans chapter 10, verses 8 and 9. It says that for you are saved by grace. This thing that you don't deserve, it's been poured out, it's made available to you, it's unmerited favor, it's kindness, you're saved by that grace, but it's through faith. The grace is free, the faith is our response. You are saved when you recognize the grace is there and you respond in faith. And and this whole thing of salvation, this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God. 
It's not from your works. No, no, nobody can boast. This is a free gift that's made available. The opening of the gift is your response through faith, your response of saying, I trust you. As we close today, many of you have been in church and heard messages before. Others of you may be coming back to church for the first time in a long time. No matter where you're at, have you stepped over the line of faith, the line of trust, and said, you know what? God, I choose to trust you with my life. It's not just about the past. It's not just, God, make all that bad stuff in my past go away. It's saying, no, I do want you to forgive me for that because, God, all of that pain and all of that mess and all of that sin is a result of me trying to be in charge of my own life and not allowing you to be in charge. And so, God, I want to ask for you to forgive me for taking the rightful place you have in my life, of being the king in my own life. And, and, and God, I choose now to trust you to be my king. I choose now to let you be in charge. See, if you've never stepped over that line of faith, see, it's not just praying a mechanical prayer and saying, hey, I checked the box. I prayed the prayer the pastor said. It's not just going through some motions. It's a change in who's in charge and who is ruling your life. And so sometimes we say, hey, are you a Christian? And you go back and you're like, yeah, I'm four years old. I prayed a prayer. Okay, that's cute. That's great. That's wonderful. I think you should have prayed when you were four. You probably were a little sinner and you needed some forgiveness. But if you have not taken off the throne, if you've not stepped off the throne, taken the crown off and said, Jesus, you're in charge, I don't think that you've ever really been saved. You're not really a Christian. If you're still calling the shots, you're still sitting on the throne. Jesus doesn't participate unless he's in charge. In case you wondered. He's not here to serve you and help you have a better life. He's here to save you and show you how to really live life. He understands how humanity is meant to live. He created it. He designed it. He's in charge. He's the author of it. The best thing we can do is find out from the author, how's this book supposed to go? And he says, I can tell you how it ends, but the plot for you is dependent upon your free will. And will you choose to trust me or will you choose not to? Will you choose to respond in faith and trust or will you respond in distrust? You can be like Mary or you can be like Zechariah. And so if you have not stepped over that line of faith and trusted Jesus, today can be the day. It's such good news. It's such good news. See, for me, it was November in a bedroom as a child out of a fear of hell and does God love me? What is this? That I cried out to him, and I stepped over the line of faith. I was a child when I did it. But you know what I did every year, every time I was in church? No, no, no. I'm still saying yes to Jesus. Yeah, I had that initial conversation with Jesus when I was nine. But when I was 11 and 13, and I got my license at 16 and could go do whatever I wanted to do and sneak behind my parents' back and do whatever I wanted to do, I still chose to say yes to God then. When it was time for me to go to college, I could choose to do whatever I wanted to do. And I still chose to say yes to Jesus. When it came time to, oh man, Alex Moore's in the dating game. Prime real estate's available. Who wouldn't want to be with this guy? I still chose to say yes to Jesus. See, the commitment I made at nine has been followed by a lifetime of saying yes to Jesus. And see, if you just made a one-time conversation in the past, but you haven't been saying yes to Jesus, we need to have a turning point. 
We need to start saying yes to Jesus today. And you know what happens when you do that? That's faith. God responds. God draws near. If you feel like God's distant, it's not hearing your prayers, you feel like you're all alone, you feel like, I just think it's just going through the motions, maybe I was brainwashed as a child, I don't know if I really believe in God. Hey, it's maybe because you're not responding in faith. Because when you respond in faith, there's something about it. God's like, hey, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I'll give you a peace that surpasses your understanding. I'll give you a joy that surpasses whatever your circumstances are and whoever the President of the United States is and whatever you see on CNN. Like I'll give you something that you can't get any other way because all those things are fading away. But I give to give you life and life abundantly. So today, have you stepped over that line of faith? Have you chosen to say yes to God? If you've been saying, you know, I haven't. Pastor Alex, I've been, I've been saying no to God a lot. I've tried been actually ignoring him. I've been trying to push him out. I've been distracted by other things. Well, hey, make today, Mother's Day, 2022, a day that you turned, a day that you said, you know what? I'm responding in faith. And so I want to lead you in a short prayer this morning. No matter what your past story is, we all have past trauma, past history, past pain. Zechariah did too. He couldn't get past it to say yes to God. But I hope that you can. Here's the prayer that I want to lead us in. It's simple. All we need to say today is, God, I trust you, and I give you my life. I believe. God, I trust you, and I give you my life. I believe. If you've not prayed that prayer, I want you to make that prayer your own, whether you say it in the silence of your heart, whether you whisper it under your breath. This is a conversation between you and God, and I know there's a lot more conversation for you and God to have, but it starts somewhere, and it starts with this. God, I trust you, and I give you my life. I believe. God, I trust you, and I give you my life, and I believe. With your heads bowed, as we're in this moment of prayer, if you are responding today in faith and you said, you know what, I am responding, I am praying that prayer, I'm saying, God, I trust you and I give you my life, would you do one more thing, just as an outward sign of that inward step of faith, would you just raise your hand and allow me to pray for you today? God, I thank you that you love us and that you hear us And God, as we're raising our hands, Lord, we are saying that we trust you. We give you our lives, and we believe. Lord, I pray that you would bless each person who's got their hand raised. I pray that you would draw near to them, that they would know that you are real, that they would know that you are with them each and every day, and that you are a good, good father. And so, Lord, as we are stepping over this line of faith, we're beginning this conversation, we're beginning a relationship that we plan to continue forever. And so, Lord, may this not be a one-time thing that we do in church, but may this be the beginning of a new, intimate, close relationship that you guide us through this life and show us how to truly be human. We thank you for giving us your wonderful grace. We've done nothing to deserve it, and we respond in faith today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.